Hi, everybody. This is Bob Bro. Welcome to the Best Old Time Radio Podcast. This week, we're doing an archive show. For this one, we're going back to a Boomer Boulevard show that was first broadcast on September 11th in 2017. At the time, I had just uh, come home recently from recuperating from bypass surgery. So you'll hear some references to that. Hope you enjoy it. It's half past eight exactly, Mr. Dillon. I better get it out of the safe now. everybody. Boy, am I glad to see you. My goodness, I know that many of you listen down in South Florida, especially on the West Coast, and we have really been thinking about you. As I'm recording this, it's Sunday, and it's in the afternoon, and Naples is just about to get hit by the eye of the hurricane. So I know this is all going to sound rather anticlimactic, Uh, as you listen to this days later or even months later or maybe years later but it's a very big deal this is Hurricane Irma and uh, our heart goes out to you folks and I even received a very nice note from a listener down there I'm going to read to you in a second in the meantime this is Bob Bro and welcome to Boomer Boulevard this is the old time radio show where we play programs that uh, we actually remember from when we were kids and the reason why is because we're baby boomers And many of these shows were on when we were pretty young, and a lot of them made the transition to television, and we remember them there. But we have a great lineup tonight. We have an Adventures of Philip Marlowe from 1950. We're going to finish up My Favorite Husband. We were going to have Chapter 2 of the story, Women's Rights, uh, last week, but because of my uh, hospitalization, we couldn't do that. So we're going to do it tonight. And then we're going to end up with an episode of Gunsmoke from 1953 entitled The Jayhawkers. A really good episode in outstanding sound quality. So that's our lineup. We're so glad to have you back with us and we're going to get started in just a minute.
Okay, we're about to get started, but before we do, I just wanted to say again, I'm recording this on Sunday, September the 10th, 2017, about 2 o'clock in the afternoon, Central Time. And right about now, the eye of Hurricane Irma is just about to uh, hit Naples, Florida, which is just such a beautiful area, and we have a lot of friends down there. And of course, then it's going to come up through Fort Myers and Whatnot. And like I said, this is probably all rather anticlimactic because this will be old news by the time most of you hear this podcast. But you remember how concerned you were as it was happening, and that's what I'm feeling now. So I just want to let everybody that's down there and everybody that's been in the path of this horrible storm, and of course all of our friends over in the Houston area too, that just went through this with Hurricane Harvey, that our prayers are with you and our hearts go out to you. And we really do... uh, Hope that everything works out to the best. I uh, was off last week. I had had, uh, bypass surgery. It was my my turn to have that, triple bypass. And uh, I'm not going to tell you all about my ailments because I can't stand it when people do that. But I was going to tell some funny hospital stories. But I'll tell you what, recuperating from this thing, it was about two and a half weeks ago I had the surgery. It really does tire you out. I mean, I feel great. I'm not really in any kind of pain at all. I'm out walking and doing the stuff I'm supposed to be doing. But I normally put about eight or nine or ten hours of show preparation into one of these shows, and I just don't have that kind of energy. So what I'm going to do tonight is pretty much play play the shows. But it was really nice because I got a uh, uh, an email from a listener down in Fort, Fort Myers. Where did I put the email? Oh, great. Now I can't find it. Well, anyway, her name was Kathy, and uh, she she sent me a note, and she said that, uh, I guess I had mentioned last time I was having some kind of heart surgery, or she heard it through the grapevine anyway. But she said, uh, Bob, my, uh, my father just went through uh, this type of surgery, and she says, I know what you're going through. Our heart goes out to you. And she says, I just want you to know I'm a loyal listener, and that I was going to send you a list of songs that have to do with heartaches. <laughs> so what I'm going to do, thank you, Kathy. And my goodness, I just want you to know that I'm thinking about you this day because she's actually right down there in Fort Myers. I think it was Fort Myers. or Anyway, one, one of those towns on the Western shore. And uh, I just wanted you to know that I'm thinking of you and I'm going to play your songs for some filler today because I just didn't have a time to do a lot of the research I normally do uh, to talk between the shows. So we're going to hear some songs that Kathy sent us about heartache, starting off with this one. It's a heartache Nothing but a heartache Hits you when it's too late Hits you when you die
good to get back to a little radio noir. Time now for an Adventures of Philip Marlowe. This one was originally broadcast on CBS on, the, on uh, September the 8th in 1950, and this is a good one. I like this episode a lot. I've listened to it a couple of times. It's called The Fifth Mask. There's a couple of surprises along the way, but one thing I didn't quite ever grasp is why it was the fifth mask. The fact that there's a mask involved becomes evident as you listen to the story, and I'm not giving anything away, but I don't understand why it was the fifth mask. So if you pick that up as you're listening, uh, maybe you could send me a note, because I've listened to it two or three times now and still haven't figured that out. But here's Gerald Moore, just as charming as ever, and uh, he stars, of course, as Philip Marlowe. And this is The Case of the Fifth Mask. Here it comes.
Get this and get it straight. Crime is a sucker's road, and those who travel it wind up in the gutter, the prison of the grave. There's no other end. But they never learn. From the pen of Raymond Chandler, outstanding author of crime fiction, comes his most famous character in... The Adventures of Philip Marlowe. Now, with Gerald Moore starred as Philip Marlowe, we bring you tonight's exciting story, The Fifth Mask. Brother, am I glad to see you. You are Philip Marlowe. Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm Marlowe. Well, come on in. You're, uh, not exactly what I expected, Phil. No? Mm-mm. I didn't realize private detectives came in the deluxe edition. You'd like a drink, wouldn't you? Now, look, when you called me a few minutes ago, it was strictly panic because your life was in danger, Miss Barr. Vivian now you... will do, Phil. Yeah, well, okay, Vivian. What's happened in the meantime? Happened? Nothing. Why? Well, you seem pretty well balanced for somebody on the edge of being a homicide statistic. Well, I'm doing my best to hang on to myself, that's all. Oh. But now that you're here, I can breathe again. You just sit down, won't you, over there. I'll fix the drink. Uh-huh. We're going to get along fine, Phil, I can tell. Yeah, well, could be. There. Now we can be more comfortable. Your health, Phil. Your health is supposed to be the point, baby. You said a man threatened your life. Yes, a man named Fred Sears. A character I used to know. He was hurt in a hotel fire six months ago. Oh. <laughs> Must have been his head. He thinks he wants to kill me, and he's come to town to do it. But now that you're here... I, uh, I suppose he's got reasons, huh? Do they matter? Yeah, yeah. To me, at least. I like to know which end of the stick is short before I grab. Well, I'm not even sure myself. I only knew Sears briefly. Here, here's his picture, Marlowe. Mm-hmm. Oh, the whole affair was stupid. So you brought it to me instead of the police, huh? I brought it to you because I need private help and I'm willing to pay for it. Pay very well, I might add. Uh Oh, look, Phil, you don't have to bother about the reasons why. Just see that Fred Sears leaves me alone tonight. It shouldn't be hard. Is your drink all right? Delicious. Too bad I can't stay and finish it. What? Oh, Marla, wait. You mean you won't help me? Not on guesswork, baby. But don't you realize my life's in danger? I'm scared. Oh, sure, sure. Speechless. (laughs) You can get yourself another boy, Vivian. Woods are full of guys with no curiosity at all. Oh, Marlo, please be reasonable. Good night, baby. I had no doubt that a guy named Fred Sears wanted to kill Vivian Barr. And that she was genuinely afraid of him. But I also had no doubt that working for her without all the facts was like playing blind man's buff with the front end of a jet plane. Sooner or later, you were a cinch to get sucked in. So I drove off the hill toward the Sunset Strip again and prepared to forget it and go home. Until my rearview mirror told me that I'd picked up a tail. I wagged it back and forth across Hollywood for 20 minutes without losing it. Then I stopped at a quiet corner bar in my neighborhood, went in the front door and straight on through to the alley and then around to the front again. I got back in time to see the man who'd been following me get out of his car and head for the door. It was one Mutt Pomeroy, a sleazy ex-comrade in arms who had his private license revoked for assorted malpractices a year ago. I waited till he was almost up to the entrance before I stepped out where he could see me. 
I... Oh, well, Phil Marlowe. <laughs> what do you say, kid? How, uh, how's business? I keep smiling. Sure, sure you would. Uh, buy a drink, I don't suppose. What's on your crummy little mind? Let's it have it. Easy, Marlowe. Take the hands off. What's the idea? You've been telling me just to keep in practice. What do you want? Okay, okay, hotshot. I figured maybe you'd appreciate a little cooperation. For instance, you tell me why Vivian Barr wants a private peeper, and I'll tell you something more than worth your while. Well? I thought your license was dead, Pomeroy. Yeah, it is, but I'm not. I still got eyes and ears and a mouth that I like to keep well fed. Now, look, I can help you plenty in this case, Marlowe. What do you say, kid? Get together? I didn't take the case. You're what? That's right. If I catch you tailing me once more, Mud, I'll tie a can to you. Now beat it. Yeah, well, let me know when you need a hand, Marlo. Right across your kisser. Ah, be it ever so humble. Oh, no. Hello, Marlo speaking. Oh, Phil, I've been calling ever since you left. This is Vivian Barr. Now, look, baby, I told you... Oh, Marlo, listen to me. I've got to have your help. I'll tell you the truth, all of it. Anything you want to know, only come back, please. Oh, will you listen? I'm trying to tell you. I've seen someone outside here, Marlo. I'm almost sure it's Fred Sears. Hurry, will you? I'll tell you everything. Hurry. 3 things I can never resist. Beer with a head on it, moonlight, and a beautiful dame. So I headed again to the parking terrace at Vivian's apartment house and made it in about 15 minutes. I was out of my car and halfway across the terrace before I noticed the changes. First, her apartment was dark. Second, a man who had just pulled a key from a front door lock froze when he saw me and then turned and bolted through a clump of hibiscus and cornered himself in an enclosed patio. He tried to make it over the wall, but the second time he fell back, I nailed it. No, no, please, let me go. I gotta get away from you. You're trying it the hard way, Buster, believe me. It'll be easier by way of Vivian's apartment first. Come on, on your feet. Oh, who are you? I'm Douglas Peck. Douglas what? Just Douglas. Okay, just Douglas. We'll also straighten that one out inside. Go on, open the door. No, I... It's locked. Sure, sure it's locked. Take the keys out of your pocket and unlock it. Hurry up. Who are you? Name's Marlowe. Go on inside. No, no, please, Marlowe. Listen, I... I can't go in there again. What's the matter? Afraid of the dark? Go on! Turn on the light. All right, then, all right. There. Vivian Barr's eyes were still open. But all the life had gone out of them. She'd slid half off the blue velvet divan onto the floor, and a gleaming gold satin she wore was stained red by a dark, stiffening smear on her chest. Her purse was open on the coffee table, and spilled out of it was a note addressed Dear Vivian and signed Fred Sears. What is it, Marlowe? What are you looking at? One good reason why Vivian Barr ended up like that. Here, read it. Dear Vivian, the broken back you handed me six months ago wasn't as hard to take as the broken promises. Count on seeing me real soon, Fred Sears. Yeah. Now, Douglas, the Gress, assuming you didn't kill her and it was this Sears, what was your connection? I was just a friend of hers. Business associate. Well-heeled business associate, judging by your wardrobe. She mentioned your type, but not your name. Let's get on with that, shall we? Marlo, listen, I, I had no idea that Vivian was mixed up in it. Marlo, look. Huh? There at the window at Sears. Kill the light. Keep down, Douglas. I'll be right back. Sears ducked as I ran for the door, and when I got outside, he was rounding the corner and heading for the enclosed patio. He was up on the wall by the time I got close enough to grab for him. No, you don't. Why? Oh! His 
foot caught me in the side of the head. I wound up on my back with nothing but the torn-off pocket from his jacket in my hand and a crumpled pack of cigarettes and a slip of paper on the ground with a phone number. I picked it up and started back to Vivian's apartment in time to hear a car door slam and see just Douglas scared stiff crouched behind the steering wheel of a step-down Hudson. A second later, car and all were gone in a funnel of dust. Well, I couldn't lose much more, so I went back into the house to use the phone. Los Angeles Morning Star. Society editor, please. One moment. Okay. Society desk, Miss Ludlow speaking. Hiya, Corey. Phil Marlowe. Phil Darling, how are you? <laughs> Gee, it's been a long time, mister. I haven't seen you since... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, look, honey, I need some fast help. Crashing somebody's party, Marlowe. Could be, but it's strictly business. Now, can you give me a rundown on a phone number? Crestview 54124. 54124? Yeah. Just a minute, lover. Okay, sweetie. Oh, yeah, Phil. That's the old J.G. McKay mansion, 910 Mission Drive. Uh-huh. His niece, Celia McKay, has the place now. She married up with a guy named Paxton last fall, I think. She has oodles of money. Any help? I'll let you know. Thanks a lot, baby. Before I left, I called Lieutenant Matthews at Homicide and told him what happened. He said he'd put out a call for Fred Sears and suggested I keep in touch. After that, I drove to Beverly Hills. The McKay Mansion at 910 Mission Drive dominated the rows of bowing trees that lined the long, curving driveway like a dowager queen presiding at court. When I rang the bell beside a carved mahogany front door big enough for an airplane hangar, it was the butler who finally opened it for me. <laughs> it was all he could manage. Yes, sir. My name's Marlowe. I'm a private detective. I'd like to see the head of the house, please. Uh, have you an appointment, sir? No, this is a courtesy call so far. There's been a murder, Buster. Now, please get Mr. Paxton, Celia McKay, Paxton, or any reasonable facsimile thereof, huh? Never mind, Cartwright. You can run along. I'll take care of this, whatever it is. She was uh, friendly, red-headed and hefty, but wore a dress so well-draped it would have made a Notre Dame tackle look good. It was all held together at the neckline by a big, dazzling brooch made up of items on a Mardi Gras motif, and each covered with enough jewels to retire a family of five. Except for a space in the center, shaped like a mask which was dull, black, and empty. I must have been staring because that's where she picked up the conversation. If you've finished making your estimate now, Mr. Marlowe, maybe we can get down to business. I'm that reasonable facsimile you mentioned, Mona Paxton, Celia's sister-in-law. Oh, and Mr. Paxton's your brother, huh? Same thing. Yeah, well... You said something about a murder, I believe? Mm, That's right. A woman named Vivian Barr. Is that supposed to mean something to the members of this household? Maybe we'd better ask them. I don't think so, Mr. Marlowe. We're all quite busy here. Now, look, Mona, and... I followed a lead that started at the body of a dead woman, ended here at this house. You people can talk to me now or the police in a few minutes. Make up your mind police? fast. What about the police? Mona, what is this? Excuse my dear. I'm sorry. I'd hoped you wouldn't be bothered by the... by Mr. Marlowe here. In his opinion, we're all murderers or something. I see. And why do you say that, Mr. Marlowe? I don't. It isn't quite that bad. Then specifically, how bad is it, if you don't mind? I don't mind at all. I'm looking for a man named Fred Sears in connection with the killing of my client, Vivian Barr. I'm here because there's a definite tie with somebody in this house. Now, at this point, I'm still asking for cooperation. This has gone far enough. It's preposterous. Mr. Marlowe, until you mentioned their names, I'd never heard of either of those people. Mona? No. They're still my husband, Mr. Marlowe. Dear, will you come out to the door, please? What's going on? What's the matter? There's a person here I want you to meet. Mr. Marlowe, my husband, Mr. Paxton. Why, 
How, how do you do, Mr. Marlowe? I'm doing better, Mr. Paxton. Oh. Douglas, Mr. Marlowe here wants to know if the names Vivian Barr or Fred Sears mean anything to you. Why, I don't think so. No. Well, they don't. Why? You may leave now, Mr. Marlowe. We've given you all the cooperation we can. If you come back, you'd better have a warrant with you. Okay, Celia, I will. Because one of you three is a liar. And I can prove it. So if you want to talk it over before I call in the cops, I'll listen for a while. Hey, Cartwright. Yes, sir? You called, sir? Yeah, you look like a fairly honest man. Where can I get a good cup of public coffee around here? Oh, why, there's, there's a little shop two blocks down, sir. Thanks. And to you, Cartwright, good night. When the two-ton front door of the Paxton home closed behind me, I dropped the cocky attitude quicker than a chorus girl lets a stage smile go when she hits the wings. I knew that I was still a long way from finding Fred Sears. And ten minutes later, when I was in a corner booth at the plush Beverly Hills version of a one-armed joint, Cartwright had suggested I began to worry about it. Until the front door swung open and admitted Mrs. Celia McKay Paxton. She threw a stern eye in a sharp semicircle that nearly sliced the place in two and then bore down on me. Mr. Marlowe, I want to talk to you. What do you mean by... Why don't by... you sit down, Mrs. Paxton? Well, I... Very well. Now, Mr. Marlowe... Coffee, Mrs. Paxton? No, no, thank you. Mm. Mr. Marlowe, specifically, what did you mean when you said that one of the three of us was lying? Specifically that, Mrs. Paxton. I don't think I could have been more blunt, but I'll try. I'm after Fred Sears and anybody or anything that can lead me to him. Now you, why are you here, Mrs. Paxton? Well, it's, uh, Mr. Marlowe, it, it uh... Hard to say, maybe? Well, Hard like I'm suspicious of my husband's connection with all this, Mr. Private Detective. Will you go to work for me? Is that it? Oh, no. No, not that. Mm. But, Mr. Marlowe, I'm no fool. I know that I'm a plain-looking rich woman who loves her husband. And I... Well, sometimes men are silly. And if there is anything, I... Mrs. Paxton, I can't go to work for you. I don't take that kind of a job. Besides, I'm already working on your problem insofar as it concerns the late Vivian Barr. I don't understand that. You say you're looking for a Fred Sears. But not overlooking anything else, Mrs. Paxton. Like the outside chance that Sears didn't kill Vivian Barr. I didn't see it happen, you know. It could have been somebody else. Who? You. What? I... After all, you just implied a good motive. No. No, I, I didn't. I, I only gave you a suspicion. A dark, ugly thought I'm ashamed I ever had. That's all. And I didn't kill that woman, Mr. Marlowe. I know you didn't. It was only bait, Mrs. Paxton. I hope you'd snap at it and come back with an answer that would get me to Sears. Mr. Marlowe, I never heard of these people before tonight. I know, that's what you said. But you see, Mrs. Paxton, even as you, I too sometimes have dark, ugly thoughts that I'm ashamed of. Only in my case, it's business. And tonight, the business is Vivian Barr's murder. Good night, Mrs. Paxton. <laughs> Comfortable, Mr. Paxton? Marlowe, please. My wife may see us. Get in and drive away. Hurry. All right. Just for size, hurry it is. Now, Marlowe, tell me. Does Celia know? About Vivian? Hard to say, Paxton. Look, I've got to tell you the truth. Don't bother, man, about town. It sticks out like a sore thumb on a hitchhiker. 
You like it easy, you like it smooth, your wife was one, Vivian the other, it's not a new story, Pax. But believe me, Marlowe, I couldn't help myself. And I've learned my lesson. Marlowe, would money, say, $50 now and more later, would that help you forget what you know? 50 bucks? Well? <laughs> you didn't love Vivian Barr. You hated her, didn't you? I hated... How did you know that? A cheap bribe you just made. Indiscreet gentlemen with their backs against the wall don't offer peanuts now and more later unless they're broke. You could be broke, Paxton. If, for example, Vivian was blackmailing you out of every cent of your allowance, good enough? She was rotten. Rotten enough to kill? Kill? Are you crazy? My lord was Sears. Maybe. I didn't see him do it. You had a good reason. He had a better one. Sears was taken in just like I was. When he met Vivian, he had a few thousand dollars and she fell in love with every one of them. You said a better reason, Paxton. And I'm getting to it. I came into Vivian's life after Sears was hurt saving her in that hotel fire. Saving her? Yes. I didn't know that. I thought he was hurt, period. Yes, that's all the papers got. But he was injured because he rushed into the fire to save Vivian. She couldn't afford to have it known that she was at that particular hotel at that particular time. She told me so herself. You didn't quit even then, huh? I couldn't, Marlowe. I wasn't strong enough. And then later when I was, she wouldn't let me. Not without paying. And that's the whole story, Marlowe. Mm-hmm. Unless you're still holding back a lead on Sears. Why should I? Because if you're it, Paxton, not Sears, you've nothing left but the slim hope that Sears, who knows he's framed, will be shot running away from the police. No, you're wrong, Marlowe. That's not it. All right, then try this. If I'm wrong and Sears is still the one we want, he could also be after you, Paxton. You know, you're a pivot man in that triangle, too. What? Why? I never thought of that. What am I going to do? Grab a cab and go home and hide in the cookie jar. Marlowe, don't be facetious. My life... Relatively safe, Paxton. I was only trying to trick you into spilling something on Sears. Oh, then you no longer think that I killed Vivian? I didn't say that. So long, Paxton. My apartment was only a few minutes from Beverly Hills, so I decided to call the police and fill them in. Also, a little all-alone straight drinking might burn the bad taste out of my mouth. But when I was in the hall there, I knew it was going to be a little while before I got a chance to do either one. After all, there was still a Paxton to go. Mona, the lady with the beautiful Mardi Gras brooch and the not-so-beautiful mind for business. I've been waiting for you, Mr. Marlowe. That figures. Come on in. I'll get the lights. You don't seem surprised you expected me. Yeah, as much as the others. Already huddled with your brother and your sister-in-law. Have a seat. No, thanks. Mr. Marlowe, I'm going to come right to the point. That's a switch. Want a drink? No. Do you want $1,000? Mr. Marlowe, I said... I heard you. Yeah. Also, Miss Paxton, I've heard a lot tonight about all I can take. I'll make it fast, will you? All right, the thousand is yours, Mr. Marlowe, if you'll do one thing. When you catch up with this Sears, if you haven't already done so... I haven't. Keep my brother's name out of this, that's all. Oh, it's a little too much. Also, you're a little easy, Mona. Your brother isn't worth covering up for. That's not news, and it's beside the point. The thousand is to help me, not him. I've spent five very difficult years getting the rights to a cosmetic formula that can't be beat. The point, Mona, the point. All right, the point, Mr. Marlowe, is that all I need now is backing. Just yesterday, I got the promise of it. $150,000 worth of promise from my sister-in-law. This is Celia McKay Paxton. And I'll lose that promise, Marlowe. Celia gives my brother his walking papers. And she will if she finds him out. Will you take the money, Marlowe? No. No, will I go out of my way to whisper in Celia's ear? You're practically safe, Mona. Practically? Who else is there? Sears. If the police take him alive, there's a good chance to make a lot of embarrassing statements about your brother killing his girl and... You expect someone. Oh. Unless the police are tired of waiting to hear from me. I shouldn't be seen here. Not if you're going to keep Doug's name out of Easy, this. Easy, honey. Get in there. The kitchen. Oh, yes. Thanks, Marlo. Thanks a lot. Okay, coming. Keep your shirt on. I... 
Oh, no. Uh, well, didn't expect to see little old Mutt Pomeroy so soon again, eh, kid? Mind if I come in? Very much. What do you want, Pomeroy? To show my wares, Phil boy. You know, like the jewel tea man. Skip the funnies. What is it? Fred Sears. I know where he is. You sure about that? Sure, like I don't take $3 bills. I followed him tonight when he got away from you. All right, come in. Hey, nice place, Phil. What's your price, Mutt? 200 I'll pay one, the address. The money. Okay. Here. 15, 16, 80, 90, 90, 90, 100. Yeah. Thanks, Phil, boy, thanks. The address is 31 Bay Drive, Santa Monica. It's an all-alone beach joint, kind of neat. Belongs to a friend of Sears who's out of town. Oh, he's using his car, too. I overheard him explaining to a neighbor. Yeah. Good night, Marlowe. See you around, huh, kid? Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, Pomeroy. Yeah? Yeah. What is it, Phil? Two questions. Uh-huh. First? Your connection with all this. What is it? Oh, a hunch that I could pick up a little extra. You see, I spotted Pax and I with that Vivian babe once, and well, I knew who he was. Also, I knew who his wife was, so I figured... Yeah, I know how you figured. Okay. But you said two questions, kid. The other. This! <clears throat> Whatever made you think I do business with a louse like you! Marlowe, he's unconscious? Yeah. If you ever saw you here, your mailbox will get nothing but extortion notes for the next six months. We'll get out now. All right, Marlowe, but won't he ruin everything anyway? Don't worry, Mona. I'll convince him one way or another. Marlo, you cross me. Sure, I'll do it every time, Pomeroy. We're conflicting personalities. Police headquarters. Like to speak to Detective Lieutenant Matt. Holy cow. Hello. Police headquarters. Hello. Police. Never mind. Pomeroy, that little hunk of jewelry there on the rug. Just fell out of your pocket when I frisked you, didn't it? Didn't it? Yeah. Yeah, sure it did. So what? So before I beat you senseless, get up and tell me where you got it. Come on, where'd you oh, lift it? Hey, Come on, Pomeroy. Get the hands off. All right. I found it at that Vivian Barr's joint. It was on the floor and it sparkled like dough. She was dead, so I figured it might as Thanks, well... Thanks, Pomeroy. You told me all I want to know. Don't wait up. Mutt! <laughs> Outside, I piled into my car and drove fast for the beach house at 31 Bayfront Drive. Hoping hard all the way that either I was making a fat mistake or if I was right, I was going to be on time. All told, it was about 40 minutes later when I screeched to a stop in front of the place and found it lights out and deserted. I was ready to start cheering until, from the closed garage that was tucked under a wing of the house, I heard it. A car motor running as in suicide by carbon monoxide. The big double doors were locked, but around on the side there was a window. In another minute, I was in and over to Fred Sears. He was slumped over the front wheel, his face the color of wet ashes. I cut the motor, then dragged him out of the place by a back door that led to a patio. There I stretched him out on the ground and... And took a good look, a long look that left no doubt in my mind. I turned away from him when I heard a woman's footsteps on the walk outside near the window I'd broken. It was Mona Paxton. Marlo. Marlo, what is it? Marlo, are you all right? Yeah, but don't come back here, Mona. It's not a very pretty sight. It's Sears. Sears? Yeah, I dragged him out here. He left the motor running, carbon monoxide. Oh, oh no, what a, what a terrible way to go. No worse than Vivian Barr. How'd you turn up here, Mona? Follow me? Yes. Because I was worried about that man in your apartment. I wanted to ask you who he was. When I took off coattail flying, it looked like something important, huh? Yes, it certainly did. And it certainly was. Yeah. 
Well, I'd better get through to the police now. There must be a phone inside. You can go wait at my car, huh? Quit shaking. After this, you haven't got a thing to worry about. Uh, business, I mean. Yes, I know, but I just can't start smiling. I'll be at the car, Marlowe. Homicide, Lieutenant Matthews speaking. Marlowe Matthews, out in Santa Monica, 31 Bayfront Drive. I've got Vivian Barr's killer. Fred Sears? Great. Just hold it, Phil Mooney. Hey, wait a minute. Call Santa Monica, Matthews. get a car out to 31 Bayfront you... Drive. Hey, path. Matthews. Hey, Marlo, nice work. I'm glad I now, let will you Now, wait know. a minute, Matthews? It doesn't play that way. What? What do you mean, Phil? Not Sears? No. It's a woman, Mona Paxton. Sister to Douglas Paxton, a guy married and playing around with Vivian Barr. Mona killed Vivian because Vivian was blackmailing her brother, and that, in turn, was about to ruin a business deal that meant a lot to her. An awful lot. Yeah, it must have. Yeah. What about Sears? Does he still tie in? Sure he does. She found out where Sears was hiding, which is out here at the same time I did. But she got a head start on me at the point of a gun, set him up in a closed garage in what was supposed to be suicide. Oh, he's dead, huh? No, he's fine. I was lucky enough to get here in time. He's resting out on the patio, breathing well. See you, Matthews. Everything's... Taken care of, Marlowe? Mm-hmm. Just about, Mona. Well, the police will, uh... Correction. The police are here. Yeah, yeah. Doesn't take them long, does it, huh? No. I've won him. Glad of it. Just as soon get all this over with. You too, I guess. Yeah. Me too, Mona. I got away from it all as soon as I could, but I didn't go home. I drove out to a spot I knew nearby, a cliff edge, where the only sounds were a couple of seagulls who couldn't sleep in the ocean a hundred feet below, crashing on the rocks. And then I took a second look at the little item Mud Pomeroy had picked up in Vivian Barr's apartment. A collection of tiny stones, diamonds, emeralds, rubies, all in the shape of a small mask. A mask that I knew would fit in place exactly over an empty spot on Mona Paxton's Mardi Gras brooch. The proof that Mona had been to Vivian's place. Yeah, a little mask. We all wear them one way or another. We've all got something to hide. Maybe that's what's wrong with people, huh? They all think they've got to hide from each other and from themselves. Yeah, so... I threw the little mask into the ocean, and then... Then I went home. The Adventures of Philip Marlowe, bringing you Raymond Chandler's most famous character, star Gerald Moore, are produced and directed by Richard Senville and written for radio by Robert Mitchell and Gene Levitt. Featured in the cast were Frances Robinson, Betty Lou Gerson, Anne Stone, Olin Soule, Jay Novello, and Larry Dobkin. The special music is composed and conducted by Richard Arant. <laughs> 
Be sure and be with us again next week when Philip Marlowe says... This time a little man with big heels tried to run over me. A giant in a warehouse nearly cost me my life. And a treacherous blonde almost buried me at sea. All that for a client who couldn't pay me a cent. <laughs> but on whose behalf they were paid in full. This is Roy Rowan speaking for CBS, where you enjoy the contented hour every Sunday night, the Columbia Broadcasting System. The Adventures of Philip Marlowe from September the 8th, 1950. The name of that episode was The Fifth Mask. And I still haven't quite figured out what The Fifth Mask was. I, I get the mask with the, the thing that was dropped on the floor there from her from her necklace, but I don't, I don't quite under... They said something about five families. So if you know what it is, send me a note. <laughs> I don't quite get it. Did you notice at the end it said that featured Jay Novello? Uh, oftentimes, uh, people might confuse him with Don Novello, who played Father Guido Sarducci on uh, Saturday Night Live way back in the 70s, maybe the early 80s. But I don't believe there was any relation there. Jay Novello was a, an actor that specialized in uh, uh, ethnic characters. And if you Google him, Jay Novello, and ask for images... You'll recognize him instantly from films, although he left us way back in 1982. He was in his uh, mid to late 70s, I believe, when he died. A well-known character actor and did a lot of uh, good, good radio presentations. Well, we're going to go back to our list of songs about heartaches. Remember this one? Heartaches by the number, troubles by the storm Every day you love me less, each day I love you more Yes, I've got heartaches by the number, a love that I can't win But the day that I stop counting, that's the day my world will end Heartache number one was when you left me I never knew I could hurt this way And heartache number two was when you came back again You came back but never meant to stay Yes, I've got heartaches by the number Troubles by the score Every day you love me less Each day I love you more Yes, I've got heartaches by the number A love that I can't win But the day that I stop counting That's the day my world will end Heartache number three was when you called me and said that you were coming back to stay With hopeful heart I waited for you Knock on the door I waited but you must have lost your way Yes, I've got heartaches by the number 
troubles by the score Every day you love me less Each day I love you more Yes, I've got heartaches by the number A love that I can't win But the day that I stop counting That's the day my world Good friend and listener, Kathy, who I hope he was able to evacuate uh, from southern Florida where she lives, had sent me a list of, uh, of songs having to do with heartache in recognition of my recent uh, bypass surgery, which I, I got a kick out of, and I thought it was a lot of fun that she would do that. First off, before uh, Philip Marlowe, we heard uh, it's a Heartache by Bonnie Tyler. That was a hit in 1978. The last two songs we heard were Heartache by the Number by Guy Mitchell. That was a hit in 1959. And then finally, Herman's Hermits with uh, Can't You Hear My Heartbeat from 1965. Got a couple more to go. Thank you, Kathy. I just, I really get a kick out of that. All right, it's time for our comedy corner. <laughs> Something familiar. Something familiar. Something for everyone. A comedy tonight. Ah! Something appealing. Something appalling. Something for everyone. A comedy tonight. Nothing with kings. Nothing with crowns. 
Bring on the lovers, liars, and clowns. Ah! Situation, no complications. Nothing portentous or polite. Ready tomorrow, only tonight. <laughs> All right, as you may recall, we played part one of My Favorite Husband, an episode entitled Women's Rights. And before we played that, I gave quite a bit of background information about what was happening in the political world that created the scenario where this script was timely. Uh, it's a pretty funny show. So this is the follow-up. This one was originally broadcast on March the 12th in 1950. And this, of course, is Lucille Ball and Richard Denning, B. Benaderet, and Gail Gordon. In this episode tonight, the girls and the boys decide to switch roles. So the women become the breadwinners and the husbands stay home to take care of the home because that's absolutely what women did for the most part back in 1950. So it's a funny one. This one gets a little sillier than the uh, part one, but it's still very good. So here you go, My Favorite Husband, Women's Rights, Part 2. It's time for My Favorite Husband, starring Lucille Ball. Jello, everybody! Yes, it's the Gay Family series, starring Lucille Ball with Richard Denning, transcribed and brought to you by the Jello family of desserts. And now Lucille Ball with Richard Denning as Liz and George Cooper, two people who live together and like it. As we look in on the Coopers tonight, we see a story unfolding, a story that started last week when the Coopers and the Atterbury's had a discussion on the proposed constitutional amendment granting women equal rights. Liz said... Iris and I demand equal rights. We want to be treated just as though we were men. Iris said... Yeah! <laughs> Mr. Atterbury, George's boss, said... All right, Liz, boy. George and I are tired of earning a living. Starting tomorrow, you two can go out and earn the money, and we'll stay home and watch after the house. George said... Yeah! <laughs> Liz said... Okay, that's a deal, and I want this house spotless. Yes, sir. I'll tell Katie, just like you do. Hmm. Anything else? Yes, I want dinner ready on time. Yes, sir. I'll tell Katie. Anything else? Yes, roll up your sleeves and put on your apron. It's Katie's day off. <laughs> oh, oh, God! I suppose it's Hilda's day off, too. Yeah! <laughs> And now it's the morning of the great experiment. George, the housewife, is cooking breakfast. While Liz, the wage earner, is seated at the table, her head buried in the newspaper, waiting to give George the same kind of treatment that he gives her every morning. Here's your coffee, dear. Mm -hmm. Well, is it all right? Yes, dear. Put that paper down and talk to me. Oh, no. I've waited too long for this moment. How do you like speaking to the back page of a newspaper? All right, now you've had your fun. Is, uh, is the breakfast all right? No, the coffee's miserable. It's much too strong. 
How do you know? You haven't even tasted it. I don't have to taste it. I can see how strong it is. How? George, when you drop a lump of sugar in a cup of coffee, it's supposed to sink. <laughs> oh, there's Mr. Atterbury. I'm late for work. Hey, tighten your bathrobe, Buster. That's Mrs. Atterbury, and I'm late. Goodbye, dear. Liz? Hmm? Aren't you gonna kiss me goodbye? Oh, here. Now have dinner ready on time and have enough because I may bring home some company and you know how I always forget to call. Goodbye, George. Hi, Iris. Hi, fellow businessman. Well, we're off to make a living. Yeah. What's the first thing we do? Uh... Let's go someplace and have breakfast. <laughs> Couldn't you eat anything that George fixed either? Ha! He boiled the bacon, burned the eggs, and the coffee was so thick I couldn't get my spoon out of it. <laughs> You're lucky. Rudolph staggered downstairs with his eyes closed, opened a box of steel wool instead of breakfast food, <laughs> covered it with a rotten banana, said here, and went back to bed. <laughs> Let's go eat. Want another donut, Iris? Oh, no, thanks. If we expect to get a job, we better start looking through the want ads. Okay. Um, here it is. Help wanted. Beauty operator, accountant, dental technician, registered nurse. How do you like that? Apparently, you can't get a job unless you know how to do something. It's just like you said, Liz. Women don't have equal rights. Not even with other women. Oh, here's one. We need women. Oh, we can do that. There's more. Oh. We need women. No experience necessary. Must be attractive and... Uh-oh. Under 25. Oh, that lets you out, doesn't it? <laughs> lets me out? What about you? Oh, I wouldn't take the job without you, Iris. <laughs> Elizabeth Cooper, are you trying to tell me you're under 25? Me, who's known you since the first year you were 28? Well, I meant I could pass as 25. Well, if you could, I could. Let's go down and try out for the job. What is it? Let's see. Uh, living statues at the Follies Theater. <laughs> well, what else is there? Hey, what are we looking at the want ads for? George always says that smart people go in business for themselves. Let's open our own Follies Theater. Well, I don't think the town could support two of them. Well, ours will be different. We'll have chorus boys instead of chorus girls. And the first row will be reserved for bald-headed women. <laughs> Liz. What? No. Why not? I just had a quick vision of Rudolph as a living statue. <laughs> now, look, Liz, it's 10 o'clock and we haven't earned a dime. Oh, here's an ad for an employment agency. Well, what's it say? Ready to go to work? Uh, need a job? 
Unemployment insurance run out? Uh, we'll put you on a payroll. We haven't missed in 25 years. Well, come on, Liz. Let's go there. Okay, but I have a feeling we're going to spoil a beautiful record. <laughs> Hello? Hello? This is Mary Margaret McAtterbury. <laughs> is Prudence Cooper home? Speaking. How are you doing with the housework, boy? <laughs> That's not too bad. The toughest job so far was the breakfast dishes. They took forever. Funny, mine only took me a couple of seconds. You have an electric dishwasher? No, no, I was carrying them in from the breakfast room and I tripped. <laughs> it wasn't Iris's good china, was it? No, no, no. Some old stuff she hardly ever uses called Haviland. <laughs> well, that was lucky for you. Say, uh, have you done your laundry yet? No. No, I was sort of afraid to try. Have you? Yeah, there's nothing to it. I, I washed out a few of Liz's uh, dainties. <laughs> well, how did they turn out? Oh, pretty good, but I, I think I got too much starch in the petticoats. <laughs> oh? Uh, how can you tell? Well, when I, when I try to fold them, they break in half. <laughs> That's an indication. Yeah, so, so I only put half as much starch in her silk stockings. Are you supposed to put starch in stockings? Oh, sure, it works great. Oh, you don't even have to hang them up. You just stand them in a corner. Well, look, look, Prudence, I have to go. There's someone at the door. I'll call you later, dearie. <laughs> Do that, hon. Bye. <laughs> Good morning, ladies. Welcome to the Sheridan Falls Employment Agency. Have a chair. You wish to hire someone? Uh, no, we're looking for a job. Oh, go over there and fill out a form. <laughs> Boy, it sure got cold in here all of a sudden. Uh, what kind of jobs do you have open? What do you do? What kind of jobs do you have open? What do you do? What kind of jobs do you have open? <laughs> You go first this time. All right, what do you do? What kind of jobs do you have? No! <laughs> the only thing we ask is that we work together. All right, but tell me what you do. If you're stenographers, maybe I can find someone with a big lap and you can each sit on one knee. Well, um... What kind of jobs do you have open? Gee, I wish I'd said that. Well, let's try to get some facts down. Uh, what are your names? Don't give your real name, Liz. Oh, What's your name? Uh, um... Well, don't you know your name? Uh, I'll get it. I know it as well as I know my... Oh, no, that doesn't make sense. Uh, uh, Bridget McGonagall. Uh, Bridget Mc... How do you spell that? Uh, uh... M, uh, uh, M. O'Brien. 
<laughs> My mother married again. Huh? huh? And what's your name? McGonagall. Iris. Iris McGonagall? Well, all right. Don't do me any favors. You see, she's a half-sister by my first mother's second husband. <laughs> nice going, Liz. And so far, we have Liz Bridget McGonagall O'Brien and Iris McGonagall. Now, what are your qualifications? What, what job jobs do you have, you have open? <laughs> uh, let's try it this way. What was your last job? Uh, with Mr. George Cooper. I haven't left yet. What do you do for Mr. Cooper? Well, uh, it's a very interesting job. I, I sleep late, and then I come downstairs, and the maid gives me breakfast, and I loll around the house till he comes home, and then we go out together. <laughs> <laughs> and why do you want to make a change? No chance for advancement. <laughs> Yes, uh, I have very few jobs like that, but I'll tell you what. You go over to the blackboard. We list all the available positions there. Now, if you find something you can do, let me know. Gee, look, Liz, there are lots of jobs listed. Short order cook? No, no. Western Union boy? I can't ride a bicycle. <laughs> Japanese gardener? Oh, so sorry, but get hands all dirty. <laughs> Electrician, carpenter, steam fitter. What's a steam fitter do? I don't know. I guess he fits steam. <laughs> That's funny. I didn't even know steam came in sizes. <laughs> well, we'll find something. Shoe salesman, furniture repairman for moving company, plumber's helper. They deep sea well, if Liz turns into the breadwinner of the family, I guess George better take up housework and cooking. As we return to the Coopers, we find our two intrepid would-be wage earners still reading off the list of available jobs on the employment agency blackboard. Exterminator. Tombstone cutter. <laughs> Lighthouse keeper. That might be something. What are you talking about? Well, when we got married, George and I set up lighthouse keeping. <laughs> this is no time for forced humor. All right, all right. Streetcar conductor. Master of ceremonies for laundromat. <laughs> Cabinet maker's apprentice. Drooler for front of donut window. Are you still here? Yeah, we haven't found anything we can do, but it's certainly fascinating reading. You know, I do have a job where I can use both of you. Oh, really? Yes, it's a cinch. All you have to do is just stand absolutely still. What is it, a television commercial for Forest Lawn? <laughs> no, no, it's with a carnival, part of a knife-throwing act. What part? 
Now, listen, you wanted a job. Where else can you get ten bucks a day for letting a guy miss you with knives? Iris? No. But the man's an expert. I've done business with him for years. See, Iris? And... I send him three or four girls a week. Come on, Iris, back to the blackboard. Taylor, steeplejack, coal miner, fish breeder, toupee maker, die caster, cast dyer, snake charmer... <laughs> Hello? Mary Margaret? This is Prudence again. Well, make it snappy, Prue. I'm making spaghetti and I'm up to my waist in paste. <laughs> Do you know anything about rice? I remember it was thrown at me on one of the darkest days of my life. I'm boiling some rice for dinner, and I don't know if I put enough in. Well, how much did you use? A one-pound package. For two of you? Huh. Sounds about right. <laughs> yeah, I guess it swells up a little. Hey, hey, wait a minute. Uh, what's the matter? Something's pushing the kitchen door open. <laughs> Holy cow, it's the rice! Oh, it can't be. It is. Our kitchen looks like Sun Valley. <laughs> Hold it back, boy. I'll be right over. Oh, and I'll bring some raisins. Raisins? What for? Well, if we can't clean it up, we'll make the biggest rice pudding you've ever seen. <laughs> Xylophonist, zither maker, pin feather plucker in chicken factory. <laughs> oh, it's no use, Liz. We won't get a job. We'll just have to go home and eat crow. You think that's what they fix for dinner? <laughs> you girls still here? Look, why don't you go home? And if anything comes up, uh, pardon me. Sheridan Falls Employment Agency. Say, uh, we've had a little accident. Could you send a house-cleaning crew out right away? Well, I've only got one of my regular cleaning ladies, but... Uh, wait a minute. Hey, you two. Yes? I think I may have a job for you. We'll take it. Sure, what is it? General housework, part of a crew of cleaning ladies. Housework? I could have stayed home and done that. Iris, we can't be choosy. We've got to make some money today or we'll never hear the end of it. Well, I... We'll take it. Good. I'll send you out with one of my regulars. Hello? Yes? Oh, you're in luck, mister. Two more of our best scrub ladies just checked in. Good. Uh, the address is 321 Bundy Drive. They're on their way right now. Oh, thanks. Okay, you two, it's all set. I'll call Blanche and you can get going. Who's Blanche? Oh, she's one of our best cleaning women. A sweet, lovable character. You get along fine. She's got her own car. <laughs> Are you deep or something? <laughs> well, here's the place. 321 Bundy Drive. Oh, Iris, it's my house. We can't go in there, Blanche. We quit. 
You what? We quit. Yeah, get someone else. Now, look, sister. I need the dough from this job, and if you don't work, I don't work. You're coming in with me, or else. (laughs) Or else what? Or else you'll be wearing an off-the-face scrub bucket in the Easter parade. (laughs) Well, if you're going to use logic... Liz, maybe Rudolph and George aren't here Oh, come to think of it, Iris I wonder what's happened that they have to have someone clean it up They said they'd leave the side door open See, there's nobody here, thank goodness Well, come on, let's hurry and get it done Oh, what's the rush? I like to look around when I get in a strange house Oh, I don't imagine you very often get into a house like this, huh, Blanche? No, I should say not. It's a real eyesore, ain't it? (laughs) What? Can you imagine having to live with this stuff? Yes, I can. Well, if you don't know, no better. We're supposed to start in the... (laughs) Look at that mess. What is it? It looks like rice. Oh, it it is rice. All the way into the middle of the dining room. Oh, what kind of a pig would keep a sty like this? I'll tell you what kind of a... Now, Liz, please, please, let's get this finished and get out of here. Oh, all right. What was that? Those stockings in the kitchen fell over. They were standing up. Must be here, George. I hope so. Oh, oh, they're here. Hand me a brush. I'll start scrubbing under this table. Okay. O- on the carpet? I don't have time to go anyplace else. <sighs> Neither do I. I'll help you, Liz. Move over. Now, scrape some rice over my way. Give me some rice. Now, now listen, you two. That's oh, not... hello there. You must be the cleaning women, huh? Yep. I'm Blanche. Well, uh, look, we want this all cleaned up. See, if our wives find out about it, they'll kill us. He can say that again. Now, after you get through here, go over to my house. I came over to help him with the rice, and I left the iron on. The uh, fireman left quite a mess. (laughs) Burn the ironing board, huh? Well, I couldn't find the ironing board. I was using the top of the piano. (laughs) Well, don't worry. We'll clean it up for you. We? Oh, yeah, me and my two assistants. Uh, They're down on their hands and knees. You can just see him sticking out from under the table. Iris! (laughs) Iris? Certainly, I recognize her shoes. Liz? Liz Cooper, is that you? What's going on around here? Speak up, you two. Oh, so very good rice. Very good. Uh, uh, Clean him up quick, quick, chop, chop. Oh, you bet. Ah, you bet, you bet. Hot kimona. Iris, and I do mean lotus bud. Liz, come out from there. Uh, nobody here but us Chinese club ladies. Yep. Grab those legs, George. I got them. Oh, come on. Oh, out you oh. come, Iris. Come on. There. Now, Ming Toy, what's going on? What about that rice, George Cooper? A fine way for you to act, Iris. I didn't burn any holes in the piano. Yeah, at least we were working. Yes. Well, that was That's an accident. I was trying to lose my mind. Now, wait, 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 just, just a minute. 
This is no way to act. Fighting and trying to deceive each other. As a matter of fact, George and I decided something this afternoon. What? Well, tell him, George. Well, we don't like doing housework. Well, as long as we're being honest, Iris and I aren't exactly crazy about earning the living either. It's tough. Well, shall we go back the way we were? Okay by me. Hey, wait a minute. What about equal rights for women? Kiss me, master. Hmm. Come here, slave. (laughs) Same thing go for us, Iris? You know it does. Kiss me, master. (laughs) Come here, slave. (laughs) What about me, master? Clean up the rice, slave. Yes, Lucille, where do we travel tonight? No place, Robert. We stay right here and interview a lady wrestler. A little lady wrestling music, maestro. (laughs) Ah, here's the dressing room of Leaping Lucy, the lady wrestler I'm supposed to interview. Hello there. (laughs) Hello. I'm here on behalf of General Foods. Say, you're cute. Want to wrestle? No, you see, I have to interview you. Come here, you. Oh, boy, you fracture me. (laughs) Now, about this interview. Want to wrestle? Now, just a minute. What about General Foods? Well, what about him? I'll wrestle him anytime. Bring him on. No, I'm talking about our radio interview. Now, I'll start by saying, Lucy, they tell me you train exclusively on Jell-O. I don't think you'll get a laugh with it. <laughs> Nevertheless, that's the first line. <laughs> After that, what do you say? Uh, duh. Want to wrestle? <laughs> No, now look, here's your script. Read it. Can you read? Why, sure. Let's see now. J E L L O. All right, what does that spell? Hmm. That's a tough one, ain't it? It's Jell O. Oh, Jell O. Oh. Jell-O comes in six delicious flavors. Straw. Berry. Raspberry. Now, what comes next? Cherry berry. <laughs> Cherry berry sounds like a song. Cherry berry bean. <laughs> Why don't you sing it? Don't mind if I do. Cherry berry bean. Cherry berry bean. Wait wait a minute. (laughs) Lucy, look, it's strawberry, (laughs) raspberry, cherry, orange, lemon, and lime. Oh. (laughs) All right, what's next? Let's razzle. No, no, it continues like this. 
Jell-O oh. is so good, it makes you think of the real ripe fruit itself. That's so. And the flavor is locked in. <laughs> the flavor is locked in so it can't get out till your first delicious spoonful. No. <laughs> Finish up. Look for the big red letters on the what? Big red letters on the what? <laughs> and they think I'm punchy. I'm asking you, look for the big red letters on the I give up. Box, box! No, let's wrestle! <laughs> Listening to My Favorite Husband, starring Lucille Ball with Richard Denning. Watch for the April issue of Radio Mirror Magazine, the one with the big picture of Lucille Ball on the cover. It tells the details of an exciting new My Favorite Husband contest. Get Radio Mirror for April. Bob Lamont speaking. <laughs> this is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. From March the 12th, 1950, that was Women's Rights Part 2 on My Favorite Husband. I had really wanted to do sort of a feature on B. Benaderet, but like I said, I just didn't have the time or the strength. This last couple weeks still sort of recuperating. In the future, I want to talk about her because she was really, really a talented individual. Uh, Lucille Ball was, of course, always very good. Certainly, she doesn't need me to endorse her. She was probably one of the biggest comedians uh, in the history of television. Sometimes, though, when she got clownish, I didn't find her nearly as appealing as when she was doing more like straight acting, comedic acting. As, as you recall, once a sponsor took on a show, they had a lot of ownership rights in that show. So they had uh, control over the creative process. And I'm sure it was the sponsors that decided to do that last little five-minute thing with Lucille Ball about Jell-O, which they did in every show. And to me, uh, it just sort of detracted from the show. Maybe you don't feel that way. But of course, that's also why at the beginning of the show, she always says, Jell-O, everybody. They even used the Jell-O theme song in some of the musical transitions between acts. We'll hear more My Favorite Husband in the weeks ahead. I can think of younger days When living for my life Was everything a man could want to do I could never see tomorrow I was never told about the sorrows Stop the rain from falling down How can you stop The sun from shining What makes the world go round How can you mend This broken man 
Here's another one of Kathy's selections, uh, songs about heartbreak in uh, salute to my recent bypass surgery. That one is How Do You Mend a Broken Heart? And of course, that was the Bee Gees, and that song was originally debuted in 1971.
that music can only mean one thing. It's time to travel back to Dodge City, Kansas in the 1870s. We are going to walk up Front Street, shoulder to shoulder with Marshal Matt Dillon. Along the way, we're going to meet Kitty and Doc and Chester and the whole gang on yet another episode of Gunsmoke. We have a really good one tonight, folks. I mean, this is a really, really good episode. It was originally broadcast on April the 4th in 1953, and it's called Jayhawkers. And of course, in the 1870s, we were only a few years removed from the Civil War. And as most of you are probably familiar, along the Missouri-Kansas border, there were some really terrible skirmishes between Jayhawkers and Bushwhackers. The Bushwhackers had Southern sympathies and Jayhawkers had Northern sympathies and were mostly representing Kansas. In most cases, these people hadn't even served in uniform. They were just a, a bunch of rowdies that were causing problems, one, one side for the other. And even after the war ended, a lot of these people were such social outcasts and misfits that they just became a group of marauding criminals that really terrorized the countryside. That kind of gives you some background of what's happening tonight because Matt has to deal with this in an episode entitled Jayhawkers. Really, really outstanding sound quality on this one. So here we go. Gunsmoke from April the 4th, 1953. City and in the territory on West. There's just one way to handle the killers and the spoilers, and that's with a U.S. Marshal and the smell of gun smoke. Gun Smoke, starring William Conrad story of the violence that moved west with young America. The story of a man who moved with it. Matt Dillon, United States Marshal. Sit here and watch the plaza with you, Mr. Dillon? Hmm? Oh, sure, sure. Sit down, Chester. Sit down. I got spring fever, I guess. I guess everybody has. That'll change soon enough. It will? Sure. As soon as the first trail herd hits Dodge. Yeah, I suppose. Them Texas cowboys. Mr. Dillon... They all are to be hobbled and have one arm tied behind their back all the time they're here. Oh, I don't know, Chester. They're just troublemakers, sir. They're bad enough at home, but they're worse away from it. Well, there are plenty of bad men who never saw Texas. Yes, and there are darn few Texans who ain't bad. Uh, 
Where'd you say you're from, Chester? Well, Waco. But that don't change my opinion one bit, Mr. Dillon. In fact, it just proves I know what I'm talking about. Yeah, here comes a Texan now, Chester. Look at his rig. <laughs> yes, sir, it sure is. Now, what's he doing here? Yeah, looking for somebody to shoot, according to you. Do you know him? No, sir, I don't. <laughs> but then most everybody I knew in Texas has been hung by now. I'm looking for the U.S. Marshal. You're wearing the stars, so maybe you're him. Uh, sit down, stranger. You Matt Dillon? That's my name. All right. I'm Phil Jacks. I'm with a herd of 3,000 San Saba cattle about five days' drive from here. name of the trail boss is Dolph Quince. Dolph Quince? Well, he was up here last year. Give him my regards, will you? You give them to him, Marshal. <laughs> well, I'll be glad to. He'll be here in about five days, you say? Uh, he will if we don't run into any more trouble. said for you to ride back with me, Marshal. No? Well, did he say why? Well, didn't say nothing except for me to ride into Dodge and find you. Well, can you tell me what this is all about? It's about Kansas, Marshal. Kansas? We don't like it. Well, for heaven's sake, if you don't like it, why don't you stay in Texas? Instead of coming up here, raising all kinds of trouble, getting people's backs up, drinking, shooting, carrying I haven't on. even said hello to you, mister. Oh, I know it, and let's leave it that way. Chester, what's got into you, anyway? It's been mighty peaceful around here lately, sir. Now the first Texas herd ain't even over the horizon, and already there's trouble. Why don't you people drive your old mossy horn steers to California, anyway? Why'd you leave Texas, mister? What? <laughs> I know a Texan when I see one. You all riled up because you don't like Kansas anybody anybody else does. Yes, and I don't like Texas, neither. Texas is sure rough on women and dogs, ain't it? <laughs> My gracious, I ain't heard that since I was a boy. <laughs> all right, you got me pegged. I'll shut up. Oh, now we're getting someplace. You ready to go, Marshal? Well, Dolph Quince is a good man. He wouldn't have sent you here without a reason. Yeah, but Mr. Dillon, you Chester, can't go uh, Chester, suppose you take Jax over to the Dodge House for a good feed, huh? Looks like he could use it. I'll get ready and I'll meet you there in about an hour, huh? Uh, yes, sir, but what about me? Well, like you say, there won't be any trouble till the Texans arrive. <laughs> I'd like for you to stay here anyway. Yes, Mr. Dillon. Come on, Jax. It's just down the street. Oh, uh, uh, don't shoot him, Chester. I'll never find that herd alone. <laughs> I ain't to buy him a drink first, Marshal, and just temper him down a little. Now, say, that's not a bad idea at all. Take your pick, Mr. Jacks. We have a goodly number of very choice saloons here, Dodge. I hadn't been out on the prairie for some weeks, and I found its usual monotony broken a little by the freshness of spring, with great patches of green standing out against the natural sunburnt color of last year's grass. We rode over about 30 miles of it before dark, and Jacks figured we'd find the San Saba herd by evening the next day. And sure enough, an hour or two after we'd crossed the Cimarron next afternoon, we spotted the herd's dust ahead of us. We rode up to the chuck wagon just as the cook was hollering for the men to come and get it. Huh. 
up your saddle anywhere, Marshal. I'll turn your horse in with a remuda. Yeah, all right. Thanks, Jack. Dolph Quince will be over there by the fire, Summers. Yeah, I'll find him. All right, Marshal, come on. Come on. What's he doing? I don't know. I can't understand it. Ah, hello, Dolph. How are you, Marshal? Is fresh meat in camp. Ask the cook for a plate. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I'll go with you. I need some more coffee. You like Buffalo Veal? One of the boys roped and shot a calf this morning. Sure, I like it fine. Guess it was Buffalo that scared our horses last night. Old Remuda broke loose. Hey, Cook, give this man a plate of meat. Sure thing, Doc. Yeah, it looks mighty good. You know, Jackson and I haven't eaten since morning. Give me some coffee, will you? Yep. Thanks, Cook. Nesta woman came to the bed ground before daylight this morning. Oh? Yeah, I had a boy with her driving a wagon. Asked if we had any little calves that had been dropped during the night. Well, she probably picks up calves from all the herds that pass this way, huh? Yeah, we'd have to get rid of them anyway. So I let her have them. Even if she was a Kansan. Oh? Where was her husband? Dead, according to the boy. I see. You know, if it had been a Kansas man asked for calves, I don't think I could have talked these boys into allowing it. Oh, is that so? It sure is, Marshal. Say, you got any tobacco? Mine's a mite dry. Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah. There you are. Yeah. Fix yourself a smoke. Thanks, Marshal. Tell me, Joff, have you seen any Kansas jayhawkers on the way up? How do you know, Marshal? Well, just a guess. Two nights ago, some MJ hawkers managed to sneak up on Snyder over there when he was out on guard. They stripped him and flogged him and then stampeded the cattle. We had our hands full for the next few hours or we might have caught up with them. I see. Any trouble since? Not yet. Dolph... The ordinary Kansan hates jayhawkers as much as you do. They're nothing but shifty, murderous criminals. They got started on the Missouri border during the war, and they got the taste of blood in their mouths, and... Well, now it's like they got no place to go. We can show them a place. They're bandits, that's all. You got bandits in Texas. That doesn't make every Texan one, does it? It's kind of hard to make the men see that, Marshal. Yeah, I know. I'll join you, if you don't mind. Sit down, Jack. Yeah. I've been uh, complaining to the marshal about our welcome here. Uh, I hear the trail drivers buying off Jay Hawkers, two or three dollars a head. You see, three thousand head, that cost us... I ain't uh, paying nobody nothing. Well, they ain't asked us yet, but I'll kill the first one I see anyway. Well, maybe they won't bother you again, huh? Marshal, every dollar I got's in these cattle and all the money my relatives and friends could raise, too. 
We've come a long way from San Saba, and we're almost to Dodge. I'd hate to lose now. Well, Doc, I, I don't know quite what I can do. Raise a posse? No, not for this sort of work. There'll be herds coming up from now into September. What about the army? Well, they're out chasing the Indians, as usual. Well, figured that at the ask anyways. One reason I wanted you to come down here was to ride with us a few days, get to know the boys a little. They're in a bad temper, and when they hit Dodge, they're going to be looking for Kansas scalps. I'll ride with you. I figured you would. You see, Marshal, the way we look at it, the good citizens of Dodge are out to fleece us anyway, and on top of that, they hire gunfighters to shoot us as soon as we kick up our heels a little. All in all, it makes for bad feeling. Well, there's some misunderstanding on both sides, I guess. Yeah, you and I know that. But they don't. Oh, say, Dolph, hmm. I nearly forgot. What? A stranger rode up the remuda over there and asked for a job. I told him to eat first. Must be crazy. Where is he? Well, I'll go get him. Dolph, hmm. I'd uh, like to stand guard tonight, huh? No need for that. Well, if I'm riding with you, I'll do my share of the work. All right. You go out with the second watch. The Wrangler will give you a night horse. Thanks. Here's Dolph. This is Dolph Quince, trail boss. Mr. Quince. Quince will do. Well, my name's Studer. Carl Studer. You lost? I don't know what you mean. Well, do you know we're only four days' drive out of Dodge? I was wondering if you could use a hand. For four days? That'd help. You must be awful hungry. I thought maybe you'd be driving past Dodge. Well, I'm not. We'll feed you from here to Dodge if you work. I won't pay you anything, though. I haven't got the money, and I don't need a hand anyway. Thank you. Hey, by the way, where are you from? Colorado. And you ain't a Kansan? No. Good. Maybe the boys won't tear you apart. You'll be on the third watch tonight, student. All right. There's the sort of man spends his whole miserable life just looking for salt pork and sundown. Yeah. If that's all he's looking for. What do you mean? Oh, just an old habit of mine, Dolph. I wouldn't still be alive if I trusted everybody on first sight. You don't trust this fellow? No, he's probably all right. But still, I'd, uh, I'd keep him in camp, unless it's daylight. How come? I wouldn't put him on night guard, Dolph. <laughs> all right. Marshal, I always thought I led a hard life. Till now, I think you beat me. Hmm. Well, I got shot at more than you, that's all. <laughs> Maybe that's it. You better stretch out somewhere. You'll be out singing to those cow brutes in two hours. Yeah. Well, I'll see you later, Dolph. Breakfast at four. You'll find it don't take long to stay all night at this ranch. I didn't have much chance that night to get to know the boys. On guard, two of us rode around the herd in opposite directions, singing or humming a little to let the cattle know where we were. After two hours, we were relieved by the third watch. 
But at breakfast the next morning, the men treated me a little less like a gunfighter hired to shoot them when they got to dodge. After the cattle had grazed for a few miles and we got them on the trail, I started to forget I was a lawman myself. Jackson and I were riding the swing of the herd when Dolph Quince loped up behind us. Hey, how's it feel to be a trail hand, Marshal? There's nothing to it. If I could sleep all winter like you do. <laughs> when would you spend your money? I already offered to trade jobs with the marshal. Dolph, you know where I found him in Dodge. Hanging a horse thief, I hope. Yeah, not likely. Sitting idle in a chair, taking in the sun like an old man. <laughs> Don't let it fool you, Jax. I've seen him move. Hey, you two crossed the Cimarron yesterday. What's it like? No, the water's gone down. You won't have any trouble. I was also thinking about the sand. It was sound where we was, Doc. Then we'll cross right there. You go up ahead and ride point, Jax. Lead us to it. Uh, take that new fellow student with you. I don't need him. I want him up front where I can see him. Okay. Hit him off. First crossing I tried last year had a quicksand bottom. It would bog a saddle blanket. Nah. Uh -huh. Did you lose many cattle? Thirty head. Couldn't even dig their tails out. Yeah. You know, Dolph, I sometimes wonder if it's worth it to you, driving cattle up here. Texas is bankrupt, Marshal. The war broke us. All we got is these wild, long-horn cattle. Yeah, I know. But maybe there'll be an easier way someday. We'd starve waiting for the railroad. I suppose so. Anyway, the San Saba herd of yours is the first to reach Dodge this year. The prices are high. You ought to profit $20 a head. I hope so. What's Dodge like now? Been a year since I was there. Well, it's, uh... It's double its size. They got a new restaurant. A place called Delmonico's. Got about five new saloons. Well... A new barber shop. <laughs> With money in your pocket, Dodge could offer high-class entertainment. Almost anything you want. The boys will be glad to know. Hey, that's up ahead. Come on, hurry! Look, we got a blanket. He's starting to stampede. Yeah. Is that Jack's horse running loose? Yeah. There's Jack's lying on the ground. They shot him, Marshal. Yeah. Uh, the man with the blanket, that's Studer. I'm going after him, Dolph. You take care of Jax. There go the cattle. Get off. Get him, Marshal. Get him alive. I'll get him. As I followed Studer, a few shots whipped past my head, but they didn't come from him. They came from behind a small rise he was headed for. Whoever was shooting was still too far away from me to me to worry about. I wanted to take care of Studer first. And slowly the distance between us closed. I pulled my rifle out of the boot and I snapped one off at him. He threw up his hands and pitched forward out of the saddle. I glanced at him as I rode past and crossed him off as one Jayhawker less. When I reached the rise, I jumped off my horse and 
Ran up it on foot. Near the top, I got down and I crawled. When I poked my head over, there was only one man in sight. The other, Jay Hawker's effort, Benini, had disappeared. This one was afoot and he was running for his horse. I took my time and put a shot into the cantle of his saddle. And the horse bolted. The man dropped behind a rock and lay there. He was only half covered, so I stood up. And a step at a time started toward him down the hill. That's far enough, mister! Go on back! You're in pistol range now! down and come forward. All I want's a horse, and I'll get out of here. We won't bother you no more. You sure won't. Just let me on a horse. Now listen to me. I'm a United States Marshal. You give up, and I promise there'll be no lynching. You'll get a fair trial. No! If you don't give up, you're gonna die. Right where you are. I'm coming after you. You just had to try it, didn't you? Bloody trail, Marshal. Yeah. I brought Snyder with me. After the whipping they gave him the other night, I figured he deserved to be in on this. Guess I'm too late. Looks like the Marshal's done taking care of everybody. Be glad you don't have to kill a man, son. I don't think I'd mind, Marshal. Yeah, I know. Tell me, Doff, how's Jax? Dead. No. Studer shot him in the back of the head. He was a good man. The boys have got the lead cattle turn. We'll let them mill around for an hour and then graze them out. Good. Uh, I left my horse over the rise there, Snyder. Would you get him for me, please? Yeah, sure. Come on. Looks like you walked right down onto this man. I tried to take him alive. Like you asked. Guess I just wanted to hang him myself. Anyway, I'm glad he's dead. Yeah. Marshal, uh, we'll be burying Jax out here. I'm wondering if you might know how to do it. Maybe a prayer or something? Well, I... I'm not... Yeah, I'll try it, though. Let's get back in. When 
When we got back to where Jacks had fallen, the cook had driven the chuck wagon up and was busy fixing coffee for the men, even though it was far from noon. The cattle were spread out and feeding now. And one by one, the men rode up, sober and quiet, with just a glance at Jacks where he lay covered by his saddle blanket. A grave was soon dug, and with the end gate of the chuck wagon for a headstone, Phil Jacks was placed in the ground and covered with prairie earth. Their hats in their hands, the Texas men watched in silence. If you will, Marshal, we're ready now. Yeah. We brought nothing into this world. Neither may we carry anything out of this world. The Lord giveth, and the Lord taketh away. Uh, uh, even as it pleaseth the Lord. Yeah, yeah. Even as it pleaseth the Lord, so cometh things to pass. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Amen. 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 Oh, uh, Snyder? Yeah? Uh, I, I want you to do something for me, if you will. What? Well, I smuggled a quart of wagon yard whiskey out of Dodge when I came down here. The cook's got it hid in the chuck wagon. Well, now, Mark... It's not much, but it'll cut the alkali in your drinking water. Why don't you get it and pass it out to the men, huh? Mighty decent of you, Marshal. All as wants a drink of the Marshal's whiskey, get on over to the chuck wagon. There's times when a drink's good for a man's soul, Marshal. I guess this is one of them. I think Jax would approve. He sure would. Uh, by the way, Marshal, the boys all know how you handle them jayhawkers. Oh? It ain't changed their mind about Kansans much, but maybe they think a little more highly of the law around here, of the kind of gunfighter hired by the law anyway. That's good. Of course, it don't mean they won't hoorah dodge little when we get there. <laughs> I expect that. Sure. Come on. We got a drink coming out of that bottle, too. Three days later, the San Saba herd reached Mulberry Creek, about ten miles south of Dodge. Dolph Quince decided to hold it there till he got it sold. So I said goodbye to the men and rode on into Dodge ahead of them. We'd meet again. In the plaza, at the Texas Trail, at the Alifraganza. And I was sure of one thing. Short of gunplay, that particular bunch of Texas cowboys were going to be allowed to hoorah dodge unmolested.
Gunsmoke, under the direction of Norman MacDonald, stars William Conrad as Matt Dillon, U.S. Marshal. Tonight's story was specially written for Gunsmoke by John Meston, with music composed and conducted by Rex Corey. Featured in the cast were Lawrence Dobkin and Harry Bartell, with Sam Edwards, Jack Crucian, and Jim Nusser. Harley Bear is Chester. Gunsmoke is heard by our troops overseas through the facilities of the Armed Forces Radio Service. Join us again next week as Matt Dillon, U.S. Marshal, fights to bring law and order out of the wild violence of the West in Gunsmoke. Tomorrow evening, The Edgar Bergen Show with Charlie McCarthy presents a drama titled The Blue Egg of Happiness as its own comical Easter observance. Edgar's daughter, Candy Bergen, age six, visits the show, and we'll also hear from Jack Kirkwood, who plays a bear, Arthur Q. Bryan, who plays the Easter Bunny, and band leader Ray Noble, who plays a skunk. Remember, it's Bergen and McCarthy tomorrow night on most of these same stations, bringing you laughs along with Jack Benny, Amos and Andy, and the rest of your Sunday nighters on CBS Radio. George Walsh speaking. America's 45 million radio families listens most to the CBS Radio Network. April the 4th, 1953. That was Gunsmoke, and the name of that episode was Jayhawkers. Told you it was a good one. Really great episode of Gunsmoke. That's going to kick things in the head for another week. But we will be back in two weeks and we'll do it all over again. And hopefully I'll have a little more strength by then because uh, I'm coming along fine. And by the way, I want to thank all the well-wishers that have sent me notes and uh, calls and that sort of thing. All right, everybody, that's just about going to do it. To go out tonight, we are going to listen to the last song on the list. It's entitled, My Heart is an Open Book. And if you have bypass surgery, that's about what you feel like. It's by Carl Dopkins Jr., and it was a hit back in 1959. This is Bob Bro. I'm so glad you stopped by, and I'm so glad you met me.
those lies Darling, just believe your eyes And look, look My heart is an open book I love nobody but you Look, look My heart is an open book My love Is honest and true Some jealous so and so Wants us to part That's why he's telling you That I've got a cheating heart Don't believe all those lies Darling, just believe your eyes And look, look My heart is an open book I love nobody but you Some jealous so-and-so Wants us to part That's why he's telling you That I've got a cheating heart Don't believe all those lies Darling, just believe your eyes And look, look My heart is an open book I love nobody but you Nobody but you Nobody